0: Amen. You may be seated. Well, before we go to our scripture passage, let us offer a prayer for the Spirit's illumination. Lord, I admit that for myself and I'm sure others here, that we often come to your word too casually. Uh, what I mean by that is we uh, sometimes only expect to hear a nice word or a pleasant message, but I pray that today your Spirit would speak more boldly to us. May our hearts truly be captivated by your Spirit's fire within us. And may we be eager to follow your Spirit's lead. Amen. Well, for the past couple of weeks, or really since Pentecost, which wasn't that long ago, we have been focusing on passages centering on the Holy Spirit. And today will be no exception. We're going to look at a passage in which the early church prayed to God For the Spirit to work through them with boldness. And it's really a great and powerful prayer that we're going to look at. But for some context for our passage today, um, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. But if we back up and think about Acts chapter 2, well, that was the passage of the Pentecost that Harry preached on a couple weeks ago. And then as we move through Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, uh, it gives the account of when Peter and John healed this man who had been lame since birth. It, it says later in the in the chapter that he was at least 40 years old. He had been He had been handicapped for his whole life, and Peter and John had healed him. And this got the attention of all the people around the temple court, and it got the attention of the temple officials. And so they went to investigate for themselves. And when they heard the message that Peter and John were proclaiming, They arrested them. They didn't like what they heard. And they put them in jail for the night. And it was the next day that they were brought out for questioning. And it says this. This is still in chapter 3, a passage that I think Harry preached on in late January. But I just want to set this up for context. It says, When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter... This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is, no sal- there is salvation in no one else. This is the passage or the verse that I read in our assurance of forgiveness. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men... They were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. You know, if we take that passage and realize and kind of put ourselves in that moment and feel the, the tense, uh, just kind of struggle, the tension that is there, we also have to remember, too, that you know, it's not that long prior to that that Jesus himself was crucified Things at this time were, were dicey. Things could have gone south really quickly for Peter and John at this point. But kind of luckily for them, after a little bit of deliberation amongst the, the local rulers, they, they kind of gave them a slap on the wrist. They warned them not to talk about Jesus anymore, and they let them go. And I mention that context because we pick up from there immediately with our text today. And I'm going to pick up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats, and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Just first, right off the bat, I want us to all keep in mind that nearly all of our text today is a prayer. It's 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 not a narrative, it's not instructions on holy living, it's not a theological dissertation, it's the words of a prayer between followers of Jesus and God. Peter and John, remember, had just been jailed, they'd just been questioned and, and threatened and released, and they go back to their Jesus follower friends and they tell them what had happened. And so what's the next thing that they do after all this drama? You know, did they write a sternly worded complaint letter? Did they rant on social media? Whatever social media may have maybe looked like back then. Did they plot how they were going to get the revenge? Did they form a committee and immediately jump into trying to solve the problem? No, the first thing that they did was they gathered in prayer. This should serve as a great model for us today today. I think too often this is kind of where we really fall short. We, we jump too quickly into trying to solve the problems and trying to fix it rather than spending some time in prayer with one another to see where God's Spirit will lead. So let's look at their prayer. What did they pray? What did they say? Let's walk through it together. So it begins in verse 24. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, prayer sounds hopefully like a lot of our prayers that we pray on our own. It it begins with a proclamation of praise. You know, to say sovereign Lord is essentially equivalent to saying supreme ruler, master over creation and all things. There is none equal, none who can contend. There is no rival. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that lives and breathes and moves If you remember, I mentioned just a bit ago that, again, this is not a theological dissertation, but hear me on this point. It is, to be sure, theological. Our prayers should be theological. We should proclaim God's greatness and God's goodness. Our prayers should be theological by nature in which we make God bigger and ourselves smaller. How we pray reflects our theology what we believe about God and really kind of opens up what our true heart for God is. And so when they pray, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, that is to put God in the driver's seat. It's theocentric, God-centric, not me-centric. I just made up a term there. But, you know, it's not about us. It's about God. And our posture in prayer should be that of praise and reverence to the greatness and the goodness of God. Prayer is one of those places in which theology meets practice. Well, continuing now in their prayer, so that's just kind of the the opening line of praise, but their prayer also has a foundation of Scripture. When they talk to God, they think about the Word of God. So within their prayer, they quote a couple verses from Psalm chapter 2. So, verse 25 starts It is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. And then here starts the quote from Psalm 2 Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. First, I want to, we just celebrated Trinity Sunday last Sunday. And so I want to just note real quick that, you know, the Holy Spirit isn't just some New Testament addition to the Bible. The Holy Spirit was always, has always been present. He was present with David. That's what we see in that first line, that the Holy Spirit's working and speaking through David. The Holy Spirit was present with God in creation, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. So just kind of wanted to throw that in there since we just came off Trinity Sunday. But what I want to turn our attention to is this question. Why did they quote from Psalm chapter 2? Why do those verses, kind of halfway through 25 and through 26, why do those have relevance in what they are doing in their prayer? What they are thinking about? Well, to understand why, you have to look at Psalm 2. What is the message of Psalm 2? And I'm not going to read it all. But it's a really interesting psalm. It's, it's a psalm that we consider a, a royal psalm. Some people get, classify it like that because it speaks to a special anointed one of God. In Hebrew, the word for anointed one is Messiah. We see that in our translation here in the NRSV, that very last word against his Messiah. But, and really what it means is his anointed one. In Greek, the word for anointed one is what? It's, it's Christ, the word Christ. And so the early Christians saw Psalm 2 in direct connection with Jesus the Christ, God's anointed one. And even later in Acts, and Paul quotes from Psalm 2 in a different verse. uh, He references Christ, and and not only Paul in Acts, but the letter to the Hebrews references the same verse. And it's Psalm 2-7, which says, He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So you connect the idea that in Psalm 2, as, as, these, as followers of Christ are seeking to understand who Christ is, they see Jesus as God's Son, begotten Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And So we see this figure of the Anointed One in Psalm 2. But the message in Psalm 2 is really kind of where the relevance begins to speak. Because Psalm 2 describes how nations and rulers are rising up against God's anointed one, God's Messiah. And it ultimately states that God's sovereignty cannot be overcome, and the Messiah's authority will reign over all people. And so Psalm chapter 2 ends with this kind of warning for people to turn toward the Lord. So can you see why Psalm chapter 2 fits with their prayer right now. They see Jesus in David's words. They see what happened to Jesus in David's words. And they see what they continue to believe about Jesus in David's words in Psalm chapter 2. They equate that Messiah with our Messiah. It's the same Messiah. And I want to point out this. So verse 26 that's where we kind of ended off last time. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. And then in verse 27, they look at their own context. They bring it home to where they are and how they, uh, what they are experiencing. For in this city, they're basically saying, right now, where we are, where we live, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. There's, There's that word anointed again. That's the verb form of the word Christ. They're trying to make it clear, crystal clear, that Jesus is this figure. And yes, people have risen up, but God's sovereignty will not be overcome. Remember they began their prayer, sovereign Lord, and they go into verse 28. And it, continue, it describes how, yes, these rulers, Pontius Pilate and Herod, they, they rose up, they, they uh, you know, crucified Christ, but they did so because it was according to God's plan that God had predestined all that to take place for the benefit of our redemption, of our reconciliation toward God. Nothing was happening beyond God's sovereignty or plan. Nothing was happening outside of God's greater purpose. God accomplished his will completely in Christ through the rebellion of people. But now I want to get to this next part of the prayer because this, I feel, is where the rubber really meets the road for us. Okay? What I mean is here comes the ask. Here comes what uh, what they are getting to. This is their petition. This is what they are asking of God in prayer because of their, their situation. So verse 29, And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They aren't looking for God to solve all their problems. They aren't looking for everything just to start going their way they aren't praying for their own personal success or that life would just be comfortable that they could just kind of retreat and and just not have any worries they are asking that god would grant them to speak god's word with all boldness this was a community that was united in christ united in prayer with one another and united in purpose And my hope is that the church today would desire to have that same attitude. That we would speak of God's goodness and God's greatness in Jesus Christ with boldness. They were living first and foremost for Christ, not just among themselves and in the church, but out in the world. They were living for Christ in the midst of the drama and the tension of everyday life. And to pray those words as they did meant that they had placed all their trust in Christ. That they knew the reason that they were there. They knew the reason that they were living. That God had called them to ministry. And that's the message for us too. That trusting in God does not mean that we sink back. That we, you know, cower back and do nothing. But that trusting in God means that we actively engage in the ministry that God has called us to here and now. And he has called each and every one of us. Trusting God and engaging in Christ's ministry as ambassadors for Christ should lead us to pray to God that he would grant us to speak his word with boldness and with truth. The, The sort of ironic thing in their prayer, you know, their prayer for boldness was that praying that prayer was bold to pray for the spirit to work through you in boldness is a bold thing to pray for. I don't I don't know where I heard this before, but there's a little quote, it's always kind of stuck with me. And it goes something like this that one of the scariest prayers that we can pray is God use me. Because he just might. And if God uses us, most often, you know, it's not going to be maybe how we see fit. It's scary because if we are truly going to surrender to God and allow God to use us as his instruments, we are most likely going to be called outside of our comfort zone. We may you know, be led to talk to someone we ordinarily wouldn't talk to. We may be led to open up about our faith and our life with someone when we would have preferred just to talk about sports or smoking meats or, you know, kids or grandkids or shopping or, you know, something just that's easy to talk about. What if God's calling you to open up and talk about life and faith and things that really, really matter? It's scary because we have to be ready for God to disrupt our status quo, disrupt our comfortable, unhinge our complacency, remove our distractions, and even silence the excuses that we tell ourselves. So here's the personal question. Do you ever pray for boldness to speak the Word of God to others in your day-to-day life? Do you ever pray for boldness? I think it's time that we as the church and individually as followers of Christ pray for boldness. And as we do, I trust that God's Spirit will equip us, God's Spirit will empower us, and God's Spirit will engage us in the ministry of Christ. You may have heard the the quote before, God doesn't call the equipped, God equips the called. It starts with God's grace. And through God's grace and our surrendering to God's grace, God will provide us with the equipping, the teaching, the, the opportunities. God calls us to walk in faith. And if we fix our eyes on him, he will shape us and mold us and equip us for his ministry. His spirit will continue to empower us by his grace, and he will give us eyes to see opportunities to engage ourselves in his ongoing work in the world. So the question I leave you with today is is a big one, one to ponder. Will it be your prayer that God would really stir your heart to move you outside of your comfort zone maybe. Will you pray for boldness to be an instrument of His grace as an ambassador of Christ? Amen. In this time of offering as Bev plays, it's a great opportunity to to spend in prayer. to listen for God. Maybe he's stirring within you now. Maybe it's a a whisper. Maybe it's a nudge. Maybe it's a jab to the side. Maybe it's your spouse doing that, but maybe it's God. But think about ways in which God may be calling you to take that leap of faith, to reach out, to share his word with boldness. So I invite you to pray for boldness and that pray that God would use you.